Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. And you get to do all of this without having to be next to or handling your dog. This allows to build separation. With the belly collar, we found that we can stop dogs at further distances and build that comfort level of them not having to be next to you or not trying to run up to you to stop and stand still. Stop over there where I ask you to is the goal. Why does it usually form or function when it comes to shotguns? You either hear about the looks or craftsmanship of this shotgun, while that shotgun over there in the corner hasn't been cleaned in two seasons, but supposedly fits and shoots like a dream. Why can't it be both? This is what Upland Gun Company does. They take your own personal measurements and will construct the very shotgun that should handle like a dream while getting you the looks and custom features that only you can decide on. Whether it's a side-by-side or over-under, English stock or full pistol grip, custom engravings such as your dog's portrait, even down to selecting the wood grain on your stock. Head on over to UplandGunCompany.com and build the dream gun that you would carry in the field with your dog for many seasons. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another week of GDIY presented by Standing Stone Supply. Join with me this week is Standing Stone Supply, Mr. Ethan Pippett. Ethan, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're in the middle of this Woe series, and, and we've covered the Woe post. We've covered the Woe from a place board. And uh, one one thing that that I like when you start talking about Woe is is you guys have been out there on YouTube for a while. You have your, your step-by-step course, which I'm sure we're going to talk about a little bit on, on today's episode. But you, got, you have a kind of a, a different... Uh, method of, of training woe. I don't. I don't really know if you have a name for it, but I kind of just call it the standing woe, right? And uh, so I thought, while, while while I'm doing this woe series, let's get you on and let's break down the standing woe method from Standing Stone Kennels. Perfect. Um, you know, I think that the the biggest part of it is it's easy to jump to the end result and kind of overlook the beginning portion of things. So when we teach woe like we teach most things, we break it down into pretty small steps and we teach it over an extended period of time. So in the beginning, we teach puppies to stand. We utilize clicker training, positive reinforcement and stand is one of the behaviors, which is ultimately whoa. Um, And we will apply the cue whoa uh, in the beginning there. So that doesn't mean that they will stand for an extended period of time or through distractions or do anything else other than stand there for a second kind of like how sit works with a puppy in the beginning too like you can get them to sit and then they're instantly out moving around this is what stand looks like so as we progress through one of the steps that i feel that's really cool is the game we play called positive pigeons okay this requires a large number of pigeons (laughs) or birds that will fly away people ask a lot about Can I use chucker or can I use quail or can I use other birds at this? Um, Really, the answer to that is no. And ultimately, if you can't get access to the pigeons, just move on past the step. It's not 100% necessary, but it is another way of utilizing positive reinforcement to develop a behavior and build distance. So when we look at woe training, I see a lot of methods that people utilize basically woeing immediately next to you. So you have them on some form of platform or you have them on a, you know, you've probably talked about these or are going to talk about some of these other things with suitcase handles and, you know, whatever it is, most of them are 
next to you and it gets hard to build separation, mm-hmm. especially in the beginning. So what we've found is that that positive pigeon game, I'll break that down here. You have a bird in your hand. They are sight pointing. They see the bird. As soon as they stop and stand still, which is again, the woe behavior we're looking for, you release the bird and let them chase. And that becomes the positive adding to the situation as a reward. This is a fun game. You get to chase it. Um, as long as you're in a safe zone, dogs can run as much as they want and then come back. Most dogs start to figure it out pretty quick that the faster they come back, they get another pigeon. They get another pigeon. Yep. So it builds two things. Uh, basically working together with your dog. So it kind of builds this teamwork type of a game as well as it's getting them to um, think critically basically about how they're getting rewarded. And what you'll see dogs do on average is they'll start stopping further from you and faster as they they're coming back faster, they'll stop further from you. And it, and this all involves proper timing. So the second they stop, they get another bird and then you can build off of the amount of time that they stand. So this is just a zero pressure game that is fun to develop that woe behavior at a distance. And it doesn't require, like I said, zero pressure. So um, then as we move out of that, we've got a dog that will apply a the cue to that portion too. So you've got a dog that understands what woe means to stop and stand there. Then we will move into collar conditioning. And this is probably the portion that you're interested in most or that's kind of there. And that involves a belly collar, right? This Mm -hmm. is how we move into the proofing category we've taught. Well, real quick before moving into that, because that is going to be the bulk of of the episode pretty much. But on the positive pigeons, it, there's no that's pressure free it's fun the dogs are figuring it out are there any verbal cues coming from you are you overlaying the woe are you recalling because you know how people are we're real verbal heavy especially when we're first starting out so are you using any kind of verbal or is it literally just between dog pigeon and the dog figuring out i come back i stand still i get another pigeon yeah so we we move into cue i kind of glanced over that that's great to touch on so at the end, when you get a dog that's consistently stopping and they're kind of building that, and not all dogs will do this. This is a, falls in the majority category, like most training methods, but um, dogs that have really high prey drive and it's there, they're going to come all the way back to you. And this, this allows us to kind of evaluate what type of dog we're working with as well. So when we get a large variety of dogs that come through the kennel, um, we play this positive pigeon game that tells me what that dog is. A dog that runs all the way back to you every single time and never starts to build that distance or anything else, those are going to be dogs that typically struggle a little bit with steadiness and pointing. Not that they can't do it, but they struggle a little bit. Um, The dog that by the third or fourth bird pops back up over the little hill and 40 or 50 yards away and stops and waits for the next pigeon, that's a dog that's basically going to, you're going to have to work at not getting them to point and stand steady. Like it's, it will be Their work. instincts so, are screaming at them, stop as soon as stop. they think a pigeon or a bird might appear. Exactly. So as they uh, move into that category where they're consistently stopping and it's like you clearly can see they understand standing still is how they get the next bird. Um, then we would start to apply the cue and it would, we would usually just, as they're coming back, we start moving that bird around like you can see it here. And I'll say, whoop, 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 as a warning, here it comes. When they stop, then we say, whoa, we want woe to mean, <clears throat> excuse me, we want woe to mean stand still, not woe to mean take three or four or five or six steps and then stop. So we apply a warning cue and we take this all the way through the whole process that whoop, W-H-O-O-P, whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> Whoa. And then whoa from there means don't move anymore. And that's a, an attempt at making a clear division because um, how effective is it? I don't know 100% if I could put a, but it feels better in my head to know that, well, you're moving because it takes time sometimes to stop. Some dogs stop on a dime, but still a step or two. Think about running, someone telling you to stop. It may take you just a second to get stopped. Right. So, we apply that warning, then woe is once they've stopped and stood yeah. still. So, yes, 
the Q is is coming in there with the positive pitching game. And and just for clarification, you're talking this is young dogs, puppies that have had no kind of introduction to woe at all. Is there any benefit to an older dog or a dog that's kind of struggling through another method of woe? Is there any benefit to another older dog to go through this drill, or is it kind of just skip ahead and go into the belly collar that we're about to get into? Uh, no, so... If we get a dog in, whether they are six months old or six years old, I'm going to play this game with them. And the different levels of maturity and understanding are typically going to allow them to progress differently than that puppy would. But, um, you know, like an older dog may chase longer Mm -hmm. or figure it out faster. You would have opposite extremes in that, if that makes sense. So either dog's going to figure it out real quick or... They're going to, because they're older and have more determination, they're going to chase a lot longer than, um, and come all the way back to you and things like that. But that comes down to personality. So a hundred percent, we would apply this to an older dog, especially if they're struggling with a different method. Yeah. So you're, you're doing this drill, you're building it up. You start seeing the, the dots being connected by the dog, right? That they're starting to stop earlier, further away. Uh, you you have it to where it's making sense. So you're moving on, and this is where you're getting into a second ago, is you're, you're starting to transition to the belly collar. So kind of walk me through that transition. What, what are we doing going from positive pigeons to the collar? Yeah, and I would say the last piece of the, the positive pigeon portion would just be that you can say, especially when we've got that bird in our hand, this right here as a hand signal essentially becomes an easy transition. So I've got a bird here. Now I don't have a bird here. You can stop dogs very easily coming out of positive pigeons with that whoop, whoa, and they will stop. Now that doesn't mean they'll stand there forever, but you can get them stopped. And then we will a lot of times just say, okay, and release them. So I've asked you to stand for one to two seconds and that would be an expectation. And for the listeners, you're essentially just doing the crossing guard stop hand signal as if you're holding a pigeon yes. up above your head and you're just holding your hand out, just stop. Like everybody's seen everybody do in the field with their dogs at some point or another. You're just holding up that yep. stop sign. That's all you're doing. That hand becomes a, a very easy to pick out visual for the dog as well because it's it's pretty good contrast most of the time. So you're going away from the positive pigeons with a verbal as well as a, a hand signal, ultimately. So you kind of have two different things that the dog's been introduced to going into the collar. Absolutely. So good deal, man. Let's let's move on into the collar. What are we doing going from positive pigeons into the collar? First and foremost, the dog needs the um, to get used to the belly collar. And what we mean by belly collar is any collar that is basically cinched up around their belly. It's not a separate product. It's not a different collar. It's your e-collar that is now, instead of tightened around their neck, is tightened around their abdomen. Now, the idea behind this is it applies pressure in a new area, which is the only place that you are using this for. This is the only behavior you're going to teach with a belly collar. And that makes it very clear because there's been, there's a lot of, um, confusion we see with uh, teaching woe and dogs trying to sit or dogs trying to come to you. And I think that that happens because outside of birds themselves, pointing um, woe or standing still is not a natural thing for our bird dogs to do. You know, they're out hunting, they're out working, their job is to run and explore. And without the context of a bird being there, uh, woe can be confusing. So when you lay all of these pieces out, we, you know, we try and simplify and have a good understanding, but ultimately breaking it down one more step by moving this belly collar position, the the collar position to the belly, it's simplifying more. So now the reason that it works is because dogs move away from pressure. So they feel stimulation And this is not a, this is not really going to work well with vibrate at this point in time. We're big advocates for using vibrate on your e-collar. But this would be where you would utilize stimulation. Start at the bottom, work up to find what the dog's level is, but that's going to be pressure that they move away from. And if you can think about a dog's 
abdomen, essentially moving away from where the collar would be, which is going to be on their on their belly. That movement tightens their abdominal muscles a little bit and prevents them from being able to stretch out, which is how they move. So ultimately you have a that natural response would be to stop and stand still when they feel pressure that way. Their response that they aren't going to have any control over overthinking or anything else naturally is going to have them stand still. That makes sense. It does. There's a lot of pieces there. Yeah, okay. no, it, it 100% does because I think that was, that was one of the first lessons I learned coming into the dog world when I'm picking up my first dog is the breeder's like, look, if you can wrap your head around the fact that dogs learn or, or adjust in opposition of you, if you pull on a leash, they want to pull back. If you push, they, they want to come back to you. You know, if you go to a dog and you try, if you put your hand on their shoulders and just kind of push down, you're going to see them push up against you. And so you're yeah. essentially just using that natural desire to, of opposites to get the dog to stand up and sit still pretty much. 100%. I believe that's referred to as the opposition reflex. And like reflexes, they're, they're things out of your control, basically. It's just your body's response to a stimulus. Yeah. yeah. So that's the belly collar. That's how, how you put it. That's the kind of the whole concept behind it. Walk me through. This is the first session that we have a belly collar. Are we doing kind of an introduction run to it to get to hone in on the pressure level? Are we going straight into birds? Like what, what are we doing with the belly collar once we're at that stage? Every dog has a little bit of a different um, reaction, basically, to that pressure in a new place. Just the tightness of the the collar itself being central, because you're going to fit this like an e-collar to a dog's neck. Anybody that's listening has any interactions with horses, understand that they kind of puff out when you try and saddle them. Your dog's going to do the similar thing, so you're going to need to let them run around and get used to this. It may take a session. It may take a week. It may not phase your dog. This is all, this is where the biggest variance happens in this process is we need to make sure that they're comfortable. Typically we'll apply, um, we'll put the collar on pretty close to the right tightness, but on the looser side, let them run around, go for a free run, have fun, play fetch with them, do something that encourages movement and gets them comfortable with it being there. Once they're comfortable, there's no issues. But if you try and move right to training before they're comfortable, it can really cause issues with the process. They just don't feel comfortable and they don't move at all. And um, the key to developing woe properly, in my opinion, is that you're teaching them to stop. And then once you've taught them to stop, then you can you can build off of how long I want you to stand there. But if they won't move, you can't teach them to stop. <laughs> yeah. So, We've got to build comfort around them having the belly collar on. So that is the first step. Mm. So it, some dogs will just stand there and not move in in response to having the belly collar. It's a foreign object. They're not used to it, whatever. Uh, do you right. ever have dogs that you check it? And like you said, some dogs it takes a week, sometimes however long it takes, it takes. Do you have some dogs that no matter the fit, no matter how long it goes, it's like you have to go another route to get them to move. Like, is there a point to where if you just keep putting the belly collar on, the dog just keeps standing there, do you then put on a check cord or do you recall? Like, how do you go about getting that stubborn dog that doesn't want to move its feet to start moving? Well, there's two parts of this. First of all, I'm not about beating a dead horse. So I believe that all of the methods out there are beneficial in some way, shape or form. So, you know, if your dog's really struggling with this, you've given them a few days to get used to just wearing the belly collar and they're still not wanting to move or they're, they're acting like it's uncomfortable or, or whatever it may be. This may be the time just to kind of look at one of the other options, really. Mm-hmm. And if not, um, you know, you can encourage movement with a leash, but if you're still, if you're at day let's say you've spent a week on trying to just get them comfortable and they're still not doing it, then you should probably try a different method. Mm. If not anything you can think of clipping a leash to them, walk them around, play fetch, take them for a run off your four wheeler or get other dogs involved. So they're just thinking more about that. All of those things are really good options for just encouraging movement. Yeah. 
ultimately, all those examples just kind of redirect their focus and attention away from the belly collar. If it doesn't work, then you might need to, you know, start off at square one and reconsider it a different method. Um, so, all right, you got the dog comfortable. They're not cemented down. You got movement. Uh, walk me through there. Are we just walking them around, and then I'm assuming we, we start applying pressure on the collar. Uh, walk me through that. What are the steps on this? Yes. So like, um, this one, this one causes confusion or controversy in people's minds when they start to ask questions about this. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I don't have a hundred percent good explanation for why, but it seems to be the best way to do this. Okay. So this is one of the things that we're essentially allowing the collar to teach because it's so natural. So maybe that's the reason why, um, that opposition reflex is what we're activating and that's allowing us to develop standing with the pressure. Okay. Um, most of the time we're teaching, which we've taught before we did positive reinforcement and then positive pigeons. And now we're into this, but we don't apply any cues. We don't talk to them. We don't do anything else. We're just using stimulation to teach them to stop to the collar. So they're walking around. This is going to be in a controlled environment like yard training is. And we're going to use the lowest level, continuous stimulation. Most dogs are not going to need to go very high. It's a slightly more sensitive place. Um, and continuous stimulation on the lowest level until they stop and stand still. The average dog is going to have uh, a minor amount of reaction to this. And you're going to see their belly kind of tighten up and their back kind of arch a little bit. And then they'll stop and stand still. The key being... The collar pressure stays on until they stop moving their feet. Now, you will have some extremes in this. Dogs that need to go pretty high levels-wise, and then also on the other end of the spectrum, dogs that even the lowest level on your collar um, will seem like it's too much for the dog. They may vocalize or something to that effect. This is where we, again, have to get a little bit more creative. Now, I have found DT's collars specifically are really, really good on the low end. So when we've done seminars or I've been helping people with this, I'm like, use your equipment. That's what you need to be comfortable with. And they'll do the lowest level on whatever unit it is. And the dog's like, this is way too much. We can switch over to like the 1820 DT systems, 1820 that I use. And that in itself works perfectly. And they don't have any kind of reaction like they were having before all the way up to even like a three or a four on the collar out of 16. So Interesting. it's, um, it's one thing that we've found people struggle with. It's like the, my dog is, says it's way too much pressure. Well, with the DT collars, we haven't had that issue. So, so it sounds like the floor for, for that collar. And, and I just got that collar in myself. So I'm, I'm, I'm messing with it. So I can probably attest to this, uh, here soon, but it seems like that floor is a little lower than other makes and models. So that yeah. might be a tip to somebody if it's just like, man, I'm hitting one low and that dog's acting, you know, that dog's butt is going 10 feet up in the air trying to get away from that pressure. That might be yeah. something that you need to consider. Absolutely. But the, the process is continuous stimulation until they stop and stand there. And in with proper timing, in two to three reps, they'll feel that pressure instantly stop. I mean, that is how fast it works with the majority of dogs. And then what we will do from there is kind of build on that behavior. But that's, I mean, that is the process of what is happening. Yeah. So pretty self-explanatory. I'm trying to think of questions that listeners might might have on this instance, but I think you pretty much touched on all of it. Controlled environment. You're just letting the dog free range, whether it's running, walking, and you're just applying pressure until they stop. And and that's pretty much it. And then and then you're overlaying the command on that. And then like you said, we're building off of that. So this is the foundation. This is the first time to where it's like pressure is making that dog stop. Let's continue on. How are we building that duration, the distance, all of that stuff that we have the foundation? Now we got to try and get to that end goal. So typically we're going to utilize whatever worked best for building movement earlier. We try and play fetch. We try and incorporate birds, something that's really exciting and really fun. You've stopped. We would release you. Good dog. Okay. Now we'll get around, get you comfortable moving again. If you do too many reps too quickly. Dogs are really good at anticipating things. 
So they're going to say, it's easier for me to just stand still. And then you're going to have a dog that won't move at all for you. So you want to keep these sessions short and do minimal number of reps to build this. But we would stop them, release them, play fetch one or two throws, and then do another rep of stopping them. And as you build off of that, you're going to have a dog that's stopping consistently and faster. And, and they're really starting to understand this is all that you're asking. So once you stop with the collar, then we're going to move past that portion into adding the the verbal aspect of things. Okay. Real quick with those distractions, like you said, it's kind of important to going back to positive pigeons. Uh, what gets the dog moving? Recognizing what's a big enough temptation to get them moving. Have you had any issues? Say you have that dog that really likes to retrieve the bumper throws, get them to get moving. Have you ever seen a dog possibly sour on retrieving by doing the pressure if you do it correctly? Um. That's going to be a personality thing for the individual dog. You have to read. This is kind of the finesse of dog training as opposed to the black and white script. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. But um, you just need to evaluate that if. And that's probably a sign that you're doing too many reps for that dog. Okay. so it would be I would just um, adjust in the sense of let's do five or six or seven or ten retrieves and then one more handle so that you're not thinking about the woe training portion and how you didn't necessarily enjoy that, but you're thinking about the game. And this is just one small price to pay, if you will, to, to get to continue to play the game. Yeah. So. Yeah. Makes sense. So, all right, we're, we're doing distractions. We're building off that. You have the dog that likes retrieving or so, sometimes, like you said, you might need a pigeon or something, a flyaway to get them moving and using that. Uh, and are you just doing this until that it just makes sense? You're seeing the dog not anticipate it, but when you say it, it's just quicker, it's cleaner, and they're just sitting there waiting. We're we're not even saying it yet. Oh, okay. this is just Sorry. yep. Nope, just the collar. The collar is stop. So stop the collar pressure is the very first portion there that they have to be good at. Then we'll start to um, then we move into the cue portion, which they already know. So it would be. Um, Whoa, then collar pressure. Mm. And what they're going to learn to do is avoid the collar pressure by complying basically um, to the cue that they already also know that we taught with positive work before. Yeah. Um, and then this will be the brief synopsis of where we're going, but then we would move to, we'd make a transition to the neck, but those are the, that's the piece. So then the next one is you would say, whoa, collar pressure. And you're going to see right off the bat that if they're playing these games and running around the yard and comfortable and having fun, they're not going to instantly stop with, whoa, even though they knew it before, right? I mean, it would just be, whoa, collar pressure. And that's where they're going to learn to avoid collar pressure by responding to, whoa, that's how you build strength with the cue. Yeah. And, and the timing of that, you know, some people might gloss that over and they may not understand the emphasis on using whoa before the collar pressure. It's kind of like their warning. It's just like, whoa, collar pressure. And eventually, because they want to avoid that collar pressure, they know whoa is their warning to stop. And if you do it the opposite way, that whoa command isn't going to have the impact on the dog as it would coming first. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Correct. So you you then you do that enough, dog is responding to woe, and ultimately are you doing this until ultimately you don't have to use the collar at all? The dog just hears woe and stops. Is that kind of how you know that it's time to move on and maybe start considering transitioning to the neck pressure? Or are you yes, doing typically. neck pressure first? No, it's, it's in that zone. I mean, it's the – you need a, a clear understanding of woe and you're getting a good response with that and you can stop with the collar. And the key of staying on the belly collar for a longer period of time, again, we're not teaching woe with this. We're, we're collar conditioning woe. This is a behavior we started with puppies and then we reinforced, you know, with positive pigeons. They already know what woe means. What we're trying to do is build off of duration and the ability to handle through higher levels of distraction. That's where the collar is beneficial. So you've got a dog now that you're running around. You can say, whoa. They're stopping on a dime. Now, the key to this, though, is 
a lot of times the problem that you run into, or this is where the problem comes in for most people, the dogs either start sitting when they're not 100% sure of why we're doing this, because again, there's no context from a bird standpoint, which would, that's brings out the pointing, which naturally most dogs are standing doing that, right? Um, or the dog tries to come to you. That's the two main problems. Now, the key with the belly collars, collar pressure on their belly is going to have them stop and stand still. Also, if they try and sit down, like they say, I don't really want to do this anymore. I'm just going to sit down to try and get out of this or whatever. It's a sign you've probably got too long of a session going. But at the same time, applying collar pressure, they're going to move away from it, which is essentially standing them back up. And you get to do all of this without having to be next to or handling your dog. This allows to build separation. With the belly collar, we found that we can stop dogs at further distances and build that comfort level of them not having to be next to you or not trying to run up to you to stop and stand still. Stop over there where I ask you to is the goal. That That's a really key point because like you said, you know, I, I've kind of, I haven't touched a fraction of the dogs that you have, but the few that I've helped, it's that is kind of the name of the game. It's very easy to get a dog to stop. I mean, you, with any of these methods, any of them will get a dog to stop. Creating that level of separation is is important because if you can't get the dog to stop when they're not next to you, it kind of defeats the entire purpose. And not to say that those other methods doesn't allow you to create that separation, but to your point, whether it's the walking heel or, or the walking heel method or whatever, that is kind of the biggest challenge with that method is extending that separation. Absolutely. And so, and so the belly collar helps with that. And, and that's the entire purpose of it. It sounds like from, from your whole, whole method here, and, and it sounds like it's really cut and dry, step one, step two, step three. Then we get to the point to where we don't want to go hunting with belly collars on our dogs. We will, we can, but I personally don't want to, right? So, so we have to transition to the neck and talk to me about that. Do we even start, do we have a neck collar on while we ha- we're doing the belly collar stuff just to kind of get them used to wearing two different collars? Are we, are we messing with that at all? Uh, in the beginning, I, I wouldn't say it's even necessary outside of recall. So if you, to be most effective in this process, you need two collars and you need a, a transmitter that allows you to switch back and forth. Um, so you're not fumbling with two transmitters trying to do it. But when we do the transition, like the D all, almost every single DT collar has, is a plus model, has some form of toggle switch that allows you to go from one to the other. You would have one collar on their neck, one collar on their belly, especially in this transition period. And you would do the same thing with, you have a dog now that's stopping on, whoa, very, very consistently and understands collar pressure can be applied to that. We make the transition of the collar pressure in this specific timeline, basically or pattern here. We're going to say, whoa, and we're going to apply pressure on their neck. Now, the thing about it is we utilize in our program consistent or constant pressure, either vibrate or stimulation means movement. So that would be go to a place board, come to me. So this is where we make a transition to Nick's being the reinforcer. It just being a tap, tap, tap. Okay. As it gives dogs the ability to kind of think through that process. Um, So it would be, whoa, Nick on their neck. Whoa, Nick. Whoa, Nick. Until they stop. If they don't stop, they try and come to you. They try and do anything else. You just toggle back over, stop them with the belly. So that would be part three in your handle. It gives you the ability to get really consistent results. Basically, there's no hiccups. If I try in that transition period to do the wrong thing, you still have that belly color to be able to say, this means stand still. And it's 100% the only thing that it means. So it's easy for them to understand. Mm. So it would be, whoa, Nick. And most of the time, if you've done the beginning, the steps before that, right, it's only going to take a handful of 
like a session or two before they're like, okay, the collar on my neck with the Nick that also applies and I'm good to go. Cause I fully understand well at yeah. this point. And that's, the, that's the fun part when you start figuring out this whole dog training thing, uh, building up step-by-step step is, you know, when you start introducing new stuff, if everything's been done beforehand, it's amazing how fast these dogs pick up on the transition. Yes. It doesn't matter which method. Uh, and that's why I kind of, not not to change it to force fetch force fetch it seems like that's that's the perfect program for somebody to really learn building off of the previous step in, in my opinion 100% and uh so we're transitioning to the, to the neck collar. We're going Nick, and, and that makes all the sense in the world, going from continuous, you know, up until this point. Everything you've taught the dog on continuous means movement. This obviously means something else, so we're going with the Nick. I'm curious, you just said that there are some, most dogs are going to figure it out pretty quickly, but I'm sure there's going to be a few reps where you have to correct. If you say, whoa, Nick, and the dog keeps gumming, coming are you giving the command again or are you correcting it from the first command and hitting nick again i would try the the cue again and the reason for that is because we already know that the dog understands that so though they didn't comply you know a lot of times that's out of some level of attempt at i don't want to say confusion but it's an attempt at doing something else right or they weren't paying attention so i would try again whoa nick they start to come to you. Whoa, Nick. And outside of that, then we would, we would click over back to the belly collar. Um, and that's just to make sure I gave you a fair opportunity to hear what I said with a single reinforcer, that Nick button on the collar, um, on the neck, excuse me. And then if that's not happening, we're going to say, here comes the belly again. And that whole process becomes the new thing for the dog to anticipate. If I don't stop with the neck on the neck, here comes the belly collar again, which I know I will stop and stand still. Yeah. And that's exactly what I, I was literally about to say was, you know, just a second ago when we we're talking about the importance of using woe, the verbal, and then the belly collar, essentially that neck collar nick becomes that woe verbal. And the dogs, after a few reps, learn to avoid the belly collar with the neck pressure. And there you go. You, you have it knocked out pretty much. And then I'll learn, learn to avoid the neck pressure with the cue itself, exactly. right? So yep. it's all of it's working toward an easier thing for them to handle. Right. And, and I'm hoping the listeners, all of this stuff is starting to come full circle and, and they're starting to figure, figure out the, the common trend here. Uh, talk to me about the release command on all this. We're getting them to stop. They're moving. We're getting them to stop. Are we releasing them the same exact way? every time like it with all right go on what whatever your selection is where do we s introduce the the release command and is, is it pretty much just coming all the way back from when you're doing place or sit or any you know, all that stuff yep be consistent with your release the one thing you're going to see though is that um so whether that's okay all right move on free break whatever word you use stick with it and then the key is going to be if you have a dog that's getting i would say sticky where they're stopping and they're not wanting to move that's again a sign that you probably need shorter sessions but if you're like well it's rep one and this is what my dog's doing then you you've just got a dog whose personality is not as geared toward higher levels of thinking from a training standpoint this is more this is less fun more structure and that structure portion is important for growth and the ultimate goal of a dog that can stand steady in the field and and be handleable in the field. These are important things for that higher level ask. Um, but you could have to go to them, encourage them. Sometimes uh, I would have a leash on the dog and I can just light tugs to say, all right, let's keep moving. I have that connection with you. I can encourage you to move. So it would be release cue and then pull them with you just a little bit, like move your feet again. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, yes, just a, a big, okay, that's exciting and send them on. That would be, that would be the release. So. All right. So we we have the mechanisms. We have the tool to get them to stop. We can release them. There, there's clear understanding on both ends of this, the, the stop and the go. Uh, at some point, we have to start introducing this around birds and planted birds. I'm assuming is that kind of the next step that we're headed to? Yeah, we will, um, depending on the dog and how they're taking to the process, we, we go through a um, gradual removal of the belly collar, which is another portion, right? We've made this transition to their neck. And in that transition process, I'll like 
um, take the belly collar and loosen it four or five or six holes. So it's there still as a security blanket or whatever, but it's not actually functional anymore. Mm -hmm. And then um, you'll take that all the way off. And depending on the dog, we may still run them their first couple times in the field with that belly collar there. Or if we struggle, you can even take their flat collar off. This is kind of a fun fact. If your dog is in shape and is a versatile dog, most of the time their collar that fits their neck also fits around their abdomen. So you could just take their flat collar off and apply it there. And then that's a reminder, even though you're not using it as an e-collar portion, it's kind of a quick fix, if you will, if you have a dog that's no longer stopping or trying to sit or do other things when you're working in the field. But say, say, say you go out for a field session, the dog's not acting right. Instead of beating your head against the wall or doing irrelevant reps, grab the flat collar, put it on the belly and, and you have hopefully that mechanism that can get you through the session without messing things up too much. Correct. Yep. So you've made a transition to the neck and that's the the end goal that everything with the collar conditioning is handled with one e-collar around the dog's neck. And we go back to the field and we just work through it. You would apply dog locks up on point. You just say, whoa, and you can nick them. Yes, they're doing it correctly, but this is just to build reps. You do one or two that way, work the bird, move on. And ultimately that collar can be then turned into um, positive punishment, which would be pressure first. And that's saying, I, you stopped and stood here. You know that means to stand there. If you move, collar pressure comes as a form of correction to say, stop, stand still. Mm-hmm. And we've built all of the things up that you fully understand what that means. So Yeah. Makes sense. And, and again, you know, we, we've touched on this a number of times on the episode, but I always like to remind people at the start of this, you're talking about positive reinforcement. That's adding something to make something more likely to occur in the future. Positive punishment is to make it less likely to happen in the future. And so like the, the terms that terminology actually matters in this. And that's what, especially when you talk about e-collar, the timing and the intention of what you're trying to convey and communicate to the dog, all of that actually matters on this. And uh, that's kind of the challenge of what you're talking to. Normally, we don't talk about teaching with an e-collar, but in this case, that's exactly what we've just done ultimately. Yeah, uh, this would be the one thing that I can think of that we do kind of teach-ish, though we've built the foundation for it, but they are still learning off of just collar pressure. And, um, you know, that's not the normal go-to, but it, it works really well in this situation. Now, I would say so that people have an idea that whole process takes me with the average dog three training sessions and that's from no understanding of collar conditioning to woe to being back in the field handling them with what we've just transitioned from that's three training sessions with the average dog now there are some dogs that move a little faster than that and you working with your dog at home are most definitely going to be in the category of working a little bit slower than that. Um, don't feel bad, but if you are more than a week in this and you're still struggling, something is not right. And we need to, you know, we need to figure out a better way to help you. What about, I'm asking everybody this, uh, continuing education or maintenance or spring cleaning or something like that. When we get through all this, you know, we talk about the importance of, keeping your short grass sessions going, even when you think that it's done, even if it's a seasoned dog in the field, you know, sometimes we need that, that, that little knock the rust off session, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how prevalent is that through this method? Have you noticed that this is kind of an annual thing? And, and if so, how far back are we backtracking? Are we going all the way back to the e-collar or the belly collar? And I know this is, this is dog dependent, Everything sure. is is unique in of its own, but on average, uh, generally, what are we talking about? Are we going back to the belly collar or are we just going to the neck collar and just consistency time and time again? This is the big thing that just comes down to what uh, level of understanding you truly built. Did you, did you do it right? I mean, and if you did and you maintain it while you're hunting, um, that's, this is one that I don't really see much going back on. Once you build a, st- a solid understanding, excuse me, of uh, neck pressure means whoa, and you can handle that as long as you just use it. Um, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of true backtracking that happens there. Now, when we move on beyond the basics, 
which for us, basics would be a dog that locks up on points steady until the bird comes up in the air, and then they break with that bird. Um, if we move on to steady to shot or steady to wing shot and fall, like that being higher levels of testing or just higher levels of handle hunting, we go back to the belly collar and we actually utilize that through shooting birds over them steady. Because again, it's, it only means one thing. It's clear communication and allows us to use drastically less pressure to help dogs to stand steady beyond high levels of distraction, which is steady wing shot and fall stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so with your guys' YouTube and you guys have been around for well over a decade now, your courses, your Patreon, all that stuff, you guys have had the, uh, the, the benefit of just engagement from listeners and helping people out for years at a time. And I'm sure, you know, like in everything in dog training, there, there's going to be one-off or special case scenarios, but th- there's mm-hmm. generally a, a common trend or a common thread uh, of issues or challenges for the average handler. Is there anything that stands out to you in your years of helping people out that them attempting this method, they come to you and they're constantly asking the same issue or presenting the same challenge that maybe we can talk about that can kind of head that off before people get into it on this? Oh, absolutely. So... I would say the biggest mistakes come into the first and foremost is not allowing your dog enough time to get comfortable wearing the belly collar. That would be the biggest thing to make sure that your dog's comfortable. And if that takes in itself a week, that's no big deal, but they need to get comfortable. And the next would be attempting to do it without two e-collars that have a toggle switch. Um, If you're trying to do it with just one, which I did for years and struggled. Okay. Um, and I was like, this portion works really well using the belly <laughs> collar, but how do we make this transition? And that's where you will struggle, not anywhere else in the process, but that transition. And I used to, this is how I learned about the neck collar portion. I used to just put a flat collar around their belly and then move the collar to their neck. And that kind of worked, but as soon as we had both on at the same time, it like eliminated days of training in that Mm -hmm. transition process. So um, make sure your dog's comfortable and make sure that they, you have two collars with the toggle switch there to, to be able to maximize efficiency and accurate corrections and timely corrections. Um, And then outside of that, I would say the only other issue we see is the, the soft category of dogs, um, it being too much for their dog based off of the collar unit that they're using. And I will say over the years, I've probably had even, I mean, less than a handful of dogs that it was too much on the DT units. Hmm. And with that, we had to just attempt different, different methods. Right. I mean, that's the the ones that it doesn't fit for, but those would be the three big things. And those are good things to look out for, especially the single versus double collar. You know, I'll be honest, I'm the type of guy that I hear that. I'm like, I I, I would come away with like, I think I can do this with, with one collar, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so listening through all this and watching your videos and everything, I can't help. And you can tell me if you think I'm completely off base or full of it. I don't care. But ultimately, like this method makes a lot of sense to me, but ultimately like to probably oversimplify it or generalize it is it's it's a wireless version of the woe post is the way I, I hear it. It's it's essentially the woe post method with the points of contact and everything. There's just no post involved. And it sounds like it can it can go along. So correct me if I'm wrong, if you do come across that soft dog that maybe another method is, maybe the woe post is probably a very easy one to transition to with what you've already attempted to try. Yeah, uh, no, you're you're absolutely right with that. And there are, I think it's the Smith brothers, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, they utilize belly collars a lot in training, but the one step that they add to that is they will post every single dog with a belly collar on first, I believe. Um, and somebody else that's listened probably knows the answer to that, but the uh, that would be one addition too. And sometimes I will see dogs that, even like they don't have a natural response. They just have like a flight response and they feel belly pressure and they try and run to you. That's where adding the addition of the woe post just to teach them, you can't get to me to build that separation. 
Um, yeah, you know, it makes a big difference. So combining using a multiple, they're all, they're all beneficial basically. Yeah. And so. there's, and there's common elements across all of them, whether, whether people want to admit them or not, you know, it's like there are common elements and threads. You know, I, I just did the, the place board episode uh, with my buddy Scott and he even goes and has to utilize elements of the woe post from time to time in his method. And, and yeah. it's just like, there's all dog training is dog training ultimately is what, what we preach on here. And it's just, <laughs> it's just figuring out the method that makes sense to you that you understand. And then, cause if you can't understand it, you can't make your dog understand it. That's true. Yep. I like that. So, one good thing about all this, everything that we talked about is you guys have the resources. If somebody's listening to this, like, man, that Ethan guy really makes a lot of sense. It's really hitting home with me, right? It's, it's reverberating. Uh, they can go and watch this in action. You guys have numerous videos on YouTube, but as well as that step-by-step course that, that we talk about, uh, that that's kind of invaluable, especially when we talk about starting from square one, all those benefits, that foundational obedience that we were talking about, especially when it comes to the release command, doing your sit, your place, building into positive pigeons. We talk about the importance of building off of the previous step. That's essentially what your course is designed to do to get you through all of this with as minimal issues or challenges as possible. Yeah, it lays down the proper foundation. If you jump in for a one-off, you'll probably do all right, but you're going to do better. Um, you know, following the complete process. Absolutely. Yep. Well, I mean, is there, did we miss anything else? I feel like we, we did a deep dive. I think we hit on it from every angle unless I'm overlooking something. Do you, did you, is there anything else that you would throw out there as a cautionary or just advice? I mean, I think we covered it. It's, uh, it is by far in my eyes, the, the fastest and simplest method for you and the dog. And, um, if your timing's right, should go easy for you. We actually did this, and I don't recommend this, okay? <laughs> <laughs> do, do, do what I say, not what I do. Um, I taught Thunder. He's one of our young up-and-comers. He's a cool dude. Lots of desire to work and learn. And I did all of these steps in one training session. So what I talked about normally was three. He did it in one long training session. We videoed that entire process, and it's on YouTube. So. Mm-hmm. So just a testament, every dog's different. Most dogs could take a, just a, a short amount of sessions. Some dogs are rock stars, knock it out in one. Uh, I think I watched that one, and, and one thing I appreciate about that is you're like, look, not all dogs are this way, but he's telling me. He's telling me he's ready to work, and he, and he wants to do it now, so we're going to do it now. And it's just it goes back to what we preach all the time. Pay attention to what your dog's telling you just as much as what you're trying to tell the dog. 100%. So, man, I appreciate it. As, as always, it was a blast kind of diving deep and, and getting to know your methods a little bit better. I appreciate it, and uh, I think the listeners are going to enjoy this. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We'll check back soon. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that episode presented by Standing Stone Supply, DT Systems, and Onyx Hunt Maps. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation with Ethan. One thing that I really enjoy about this this method that I'm calling the the standing woe, I don't think that he even had a had a name for it other than just you know how they train woe, is ultimately the just the simplicity of it. It's a simple concept, as you guys heard in this. It's very just you know step by step. It kind of makes sense on how you kind of get from one step to the other, and that's that's kind of what I enjoy about Ethan and and Cat's outlook on dog training. For the most part, is it's it's very simple. It's easy to understand, and they're kind of with you step by step if you if you want, depending on which kind of venue or or path you want to take with them, whether it's following them on YouTube, joining their Patreon, or signing up for their course, which I highly, highly urge you to do if, if you're looking for further guidance on how to not only train woe, but uh, a, a bunch of other things to get your dog well on its path. As, as you guys have heard on the past on this podcast, they've kind of mapped out that entire step-by-step program, including the, the supplies that it takes to actually do the training and, and they have easy 
to use shopping list on their website. You can use code GDIY to get 10% off the first purchase as well as the uh, training course program. So I think that's a pretty good value. And so that's one thing besides just their method and outlook being simple and easy to understand uh, and streamline is is ultimately they have the resources that if you if it's not clicking for you, if it's not working, they have the resources to where you can figure out where you're kind of maybe missing the mark, whether it's reaching out to them directly or you're, or you're just viewing all the videos and resources that they have had online to help people like you and me train our dogs for years to come. So, uh, yeah, that's ultimately why I wanted to get him on here and break down that method, the p- positive pigeon thing. Uh, you know, that's while I say that this is kind of a simple concept and, and means to complete it, that doesn't take a whole bunch. I mean, Obviously, you're gonna to have to have an e collar for the belly collar and everything. I'd say for for some trainers, maybe pigeons might be the hardest thing to come by on this, but uh, it doesn't have to be. You know, one thing that when I was first starting out is I thought pigeons were kind of this out of reach thing, especially when I kind of lived in this in the subdivisions, not where I'm at now in the middle of nowhere. But even then, I started a pigeon coop, and so if anybody's listening to this and they're like, man, positive pigeons and and the first step, as Ethan kind of walked you around that in the uh, episode, if pigeons are something that you're kind of interested in or you think it would further help your your training program. Go give the uh, pigeon episodes I did with Anthony Williams last year. I think it was last May. It was episodes 137 and 138. I actually, uh, I actually went back and listened to some of those, uh, some of that episode myself recently because I couldn't remember some of the things. I was trying to remember exactly how much I needed to feed my my birds uh, per ounce and all that stuff. So I went back and as a good refresher, just listened to it. Man. Anthony really dove deep on pigeons. So if you have any questions or or considerations of doing your own pigeons, I highly urge you to go listen to episode 137 and 138. I have them linked in the show notes. So if that's of interest, then check that out. You know, pigeons are not that hard to come by if you plan plan ahead a little bit. You can have homing pigeons, even if you're in a subdivision. Plenty of people do it. Anthony breaks down the training process on that. So if if pigeons or the positive pigeons or lack thereof is is what you know maybe uh, deterring you or holding you back from attempting this method, then you know give that a shot. Give it give it some consideration ultimately. But again, if you're if you're thinking about this and you need further guidance, consider Ethan's uh, online course. Ethan and Kat they put together a great training course that guides you step by step and. Uh, so yeah, ho- hopefully you got some value out of this episode. I'm not going to go on too much longer. I'm actually on the road traveling, so no extended outro this week. But uh, one housekeeping request. This is the only request I'm going to give you guys uh, today. I have a survey link in the show notes to this episode. If you can do do me a huge favor, spend five seconds. It's just a demographic survey. It's not a really long survey. I mean, it's like... 10, maybe 15 questions. It takes you five seconds. It's just for me to get a better understanding of who's listening to the podcast and what what your demographics are. So I kind of know what my audience looks like uh, more so. And in the future, in the coming weeks, I'm going to put together a bigger survey, a more, I'm calling it the content survey, to kind of get my finger on the audience's preferences and and opinions and what you guys like hearing, what you guys want to hear. Uh, stuff like that. I'm going to have a lot more in-depth survey that's going to take a little bit longer, but I haven't done a survey in, man, it's been two and a half years, maybe three years, something like that. It's been a while. And I just want to get to know you guys a little bit better, understand the audience and, and put out a better product for you guys overall and uh, help me in some of the decisions that I'm making moving forward. But yeah, again, the only housekeeping request this, this uh, week on this episode Go hit the survey link, take five seconds and fill that out. It would truly help me out a lot. And again, thanks to everybody for hitting download. Thanks again to everybody for listening and uh, subscribing and all that. It means the world to us. And uh, we'll check back next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting.
Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.